Welcome to the Teacher's Toolkit for Literacy, the free podcast for motivated teachers and school leaders who want to inspire their students and school community in literacy learning. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast player, and for more amazing literacy resources, check out the show notes provided with every episode. Hi, I'm Sharon, and I'm host of the Teacher's Toolkit for Literacy. In every toolkit episode, we bring you specific resources, tools, strategies, tips, techniques to help you in your job as a teacher of literacy. Firstly, we acknowledge and pay our respects to the Ghana people, the traditional custodians whose ancestral lands we gather on. We acknowledge the deep feelings of attachment and relationship of the Ghana people to country, and we respect and value their past, present and ongoing connection to the land and cultural beliefs. Welcome newcomers to the Facebook group and podcasts. We love hearing the diverse reasons why teachers across the world are joining with so much deep and creative literacy work going on in schools. A few recent comments, from one from a school leader um, that are joining to share experiences regarding whole school literacy approaches, planning and implementing strategies and hearing of others' experiences. And a few comments from some teachers joining to look for advice and ideas. I'm new to teaching and still hungry for a lot of knowledge around literacy. Love the sound of that. Another teacher to make connections with others. Um, Another one, I'm currently working on a literacy program for a high school I teach at. I'd love to hear strategies and ideas that would be used to make literacy a priority in all classes. And last one, I aim to learn more about teaching writing. So if you're not a member of the Teacher's Toolkit Facebook group, We'd love you to join and introduce yourself to the group. But now to this podcast called How to Group Students Effectively for Learning, we welcome back Di Snowball, a regular expert in all things literacy. (laughs) Hi, Di. G'day, Sharon. How are you going? Yes, great. Thank you. And and you, let's let's just let everybody have a little moment um, as they're listening to just hear where you are at the moment. (laughs) <laughs> oh, physically? Yes. <laughs> well, I'm up in New South Wales, a bit north of Sydney, along the northern beaches, so-called, and um, in inside, though, not out on the ocean side, um, is an area called Pitwater. So I'm in a marina on a boat, um, and this is an entrance to the Karingai Chase National Park area. So it's mm. quite beautiful, mm. really beautiful. Yeah. And it's not raining today. <laughs> it's actually sunny, so it's wonderful. <laughs> I know. And I think we can all, well, I know not everyone's going to be listening to this on a rainy day, but we're all, you know, those of us today, we're all a little, we know the rain is so important. Um, but, yes, Having some sunshine is what we're all looking forward to. So I'm just vicariously enjoying that sunshine with you, Di. Good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So today um, we're going to explore small group work and and how we can – well, really today we want to explore that idea of, you know, how to make small group work effective. We know it's a strategy that we can use with our students – but as teachers, we do have different ways of grouping students. And even with lots of teachers that I talk to, they'll, they'll say that they don't always find the small group work effective that they're doing. So that's what we really want to chase down today. You know, we're really wondering about how small group work can be effective and how 
we can maybe tweak what we're doing or think of group work um, in new ways um, to make it more effective. Sometimes people will use small group work in a fixed way across a term or sometimes even across a year and we want to think a little bit about why might we be in that pattern of doing that and is it an effective strategy and we also want to think a little bit about how small group work I think a lot of people will choose it to feel that they are going to be able to cater for all students by grouping and so how are we doing that in the most effective ways? And, of course, all of that depends on how we plan as teachers. So, really, we're talking about making small group work effective through the planning that we're doing for that. So, let's... Yeah, and I actually think it's the planning sometimes that gets in the way. Um, you know, that there'll be a permanent plan yes. um, rather than thinking about what you're trying to achieve with your students and what would be the best way to do that. And so you might plan that you know that you're going to do group work, but who that's going to be with and why um, is really what you need to be thinking about, especially the why. Yes. And so let me start by saying that, uh, you know, there has to be a purpose for pulling a particular group of students together and if you keep thinking about that um, in the back of your mind all of the time and then just use common sense about when anyone wants to learn anything uh, what's the best way about doing it and I know that you often talk about the gradual release of responsibility model which is very very effective for teaching and learning and part of that would be that some students even after the demonstration and then joining in with the teacher to do whatever it is that some students will need more support mm. and that's what we need to think about who needs more support where in a small group setting, it would be really very effective for them. And then you would be deciding, well, who are those students? How do I know that? And what will I do in that small group time that's going to support what they need? So if we just stand back from that so that your general planning might include, even on a daily basis, that you're going to do some whole class work, especially for a lot of demonstration work or the children yeah. join all class joining in doing something with you. Yeah. But you are going to have some time for for groups and even when you do that, you've got to think about what will the other kids be doing that's really worthwhile or it could be a waste of their time and that's bad. Mm. Um, and, you know, um, wh why you've got that small group rather than uh, saying my planning is that every week this particular group of children are going to meet on a Monday and another group on a Tuesday and another group on a Wednesday, etc. And so the extreme of that will even be that a teacher will sometimes have what they call rotation activities. So they'll sort of plan the week, think about dividing the class up into groups and one day you're going to work with the group and the others will all do the other planned activities, even in groups perhaps. And then that just rotates through the week. So when you get yourself locked into that sort of planning, 
it's not necessarily going to be very effective for the children's needs. So stand back from that and perhaps stand back from whatever you're doing at the moment and let's think through how we would actually properly plan for small group work. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. So so we're really taking that stance of... I like that term, you just stand back, but then it's noticing, isn't it? It's noticing who Mm -hmm. needs what. So maybe we've demonstrated something and then we're we're really looking to notice, all right, who who didn't get what? Yep, (laughs) exactly. And who is um, not just the who didn't get what, but who's at this point now that, oh, my goodness, they're ready for, you know, going further with that. But it is that moment to really notice during that demonstration time even or as they move off to independent practice of that to have our eyes on students at that time to make those decisions. Exactly. And, in fact, you can't really make proper decisions about your small group work until the students are doing something independently and you're able to observe how they're all going. And so in reading, of course, the most effective time for that is going to be your reading conferences Mm -hmm. to find out. And it could be to find out how they're going with what you've demonstrated, but you do also find out other things um, about your students' reading during a conference that may have nothing to do with what you've been currently demonstrating. Mm. And so then you're keeping some sort of record of the student conferences that allow you to look out for all different aspects of reading and we'll talk about how we might do that in a minute but and then from from that you can say oh well this student this student and this student need more help with blah blah some aspect of reading and again it might be what you've been demonstrating but and you're on the watch out for that but it might be some other aspect of reading that you've noticed that, that a group of students need help with so then you can actually plan in this time I've set aside for group work in my, in my day, that's that would be a good time to pull those students together mm. to work on what I've noticed they need help with. And um, in fact, at the beginning of the year, it probably means there's very little group work that you can do mm. because you, unless you know enough about your students to really know um, – who would be better off in groups. And, of course, there are some things, too, that um, you just know. Well, it is still based on something you know about your students, but I'm thinking even at the start of the foundation or the first year at school that if you were aware of perhaps which students have not been read to at home or not been read to a lot at home, that you know they would benefit a great deal from being read to. Mm. Now, of course, you're going to read to the whole class. That's a given. But if they've not been used to being read to at home, then small group work would allow all of the students to make comments and ask questions, etc., much more than they would if it was the whole class. Mm. And we do know that when students are read to at home, that one of the things they do with their parent or carer 
is actually interrupt the reading sometimes to make comments and ask questions. And, you know, they feel safe about doing that because they're, it's, they're, it's a regular thing they're doing at home. And it's that interaction with the book and the, the adult, that discussion or questioning, that's probably, well, it's as, as effective as just being read to. It's a very important part of being read to. And it, it's hard to do that with the whole class, but a small group, and you're going to specifically choose the books that perhaps those children have missed out on that have really almost taught the other kids to read um, it to a certain extent, that you're going to choose those sorts of books that the children love joining in with. And we all know that the favourites of those, the authors like Eric Carle and Mem Fox and Pamela Allen and Pat Hutchins and John Birmingham, etc., those books that the children want you to read to them a hundred times. So in a small group at school, they're going to get that. Of course, it would be wonderful if someone was also coming in and reading to those children individually. And, you know, sometimes you can get outside helpers to do that, and boy, do they benefit. Mm. But as a teacher, it's doable mm. to have small groups being read to. So mm. that's a sort of, at the start of the year, you might say, well, I already know from, you know, interviews about their lives preschool that I can see those kids are going to benefit from that, and I could start that from day one perhaps. Mm. But most of the time, Unless you really know a lot about the students, because um, even if information is passed on from the year before, six weeks of, a, of summer vacation might mean they're not exactly at the same point anymore, particularly if they're young, younger readers. And so until you actually start to do some work with your students and that noticing, will you be able to form small groups to mm. work with them? Mm. And it might be several weeks into the school year. Um, before you actually know what that is, and that's good because yes. you're you're doing it for a purpose, not just because oh, I must have some small group work. Yeah, and I think it really highlights the importance of I'll use the term data here, but yep. using the right type of data. So by yep. noticing, then we've and if we're noticing them in the act of reading or writing, <laughs> yep. then then we're noticing different things than if we're looking at maybe some data that's been handed to us from the year before or, yep. um, or an assessment that we've done that might show um, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing on um, even things like, you know, I know sometimes um, – when I talk with teachers, they'll say, oh, this group of students are together because in their um, NAPLAN data, you know, it showed they all had trouble with this type of question. <laughs> and so right. then we've got those children together. but And so then we've sort of pulled a question from, you know, a focus for all of these groups when in fact it's actually what students are doing, as you said, in the act of independent um, action within reading and writing that we really get to see the kinds of things like we'd never pick up about you know children you know having a group where children are being read to if we were just looking at other types of data. No, you know, it's definitely really not. really looking at 
them in the action. I think that's a really important – it's purpose and it's about what what are we seeing them doing as they're engaged in reading and writing that can yep. really – and that's really us knowing our students then. So I really Definitely. love that point about there's no – we don't have to just group for grouping's sake. We really want to make it – this is the first part of making it highly effective is that – That's right. That's what I was thinking real, of as you were talking. It's what's effective, what's really going to have an effect on these children's reading and writing. What is it they've – missed out on perhaps that they need and we know even things like some children will start school with much less vocabulary than other children and that can continue right through so what are we going to do about that and although we can do fabulous whole class work on vocabulary extending uh, even just by what we choose to read to the children and what they're reading themselves we can make sure that their vocabulary is is increasing but the being able to have small group discussion Mm -hmm. for the children who are really weak in that area, it's not because there's something wrong with them. It's the experience they haven't had that's affecting them. Mm -hmm. So how can I give them that experience that will make a difference? And vocabulary affects their comprehension unbelievably. So we know that we want to do something about that right from the outset and always to help those kids who just haven't had that experience. What would be the experience they've missed out on that could help them? Um, if I was to do pull them together for some small group work. One yeah. of the good things about that sort of thing too is um, even just being read to or small group shared reading mm-hmm. is sort of the equivalent of what a parent would be doing at home too where the children can actually join in with the reading in shared reading and you have a lot of opportunity for small group demonstration and them joining in and you being able to observe even more about what they're doing during that time yeah. um, is very effective for those kids who've missed out on um, being read to. And there's never an age group when that isn't going yeah. to be a useful thing to do for the kids. So right from the outset, if they've missed out on those sorts of experiences, it's never too late to try to provide them mm. for them. Mm. You know, I was talking to um, some secondary teachers the other day who've got some children who are really struggling with reading and therefore they don't want to read when it's independent reading time because they know they're not successful at it, they're not doing what the other kids are doing. And to get to know them individually and form some small groups around reading to them, and this is reading to them perhaps something that the other kids can read independently, but they want to be part of that conversation about the whatever's being read, and they can't because they can't independently read that book that's, you know, the in-book at the moment Mm. or in-series. So a small group of kids at secondary school who would be read to or perhaps could even, if you had uh, some copies of the text, could read along with, would help them then to be part of the conversation the other kids are having. And that's not a frustrating experience for them. It's actually an effective way to help their reading improve and to feel self-esteem because they can join in with the other kids. So it's always that what's what's going wrong with these kids 
what's causing it and therefore what could I do about that. And as long as we keep thinking that way, and it might be not because kids are having problems, but, you know, some kids might be able to read something much more sophisticated than the rest of the class or something and you want to pull them together for Mm. a discussion that you may not be able to have with the whole class. And that, again, a small group always allows every child to have a chance at saying something, but in a whole class situation, that's very difficult. So, you know, it's I think it's common sense if you'll just stand back and let it be that way. Yeah. And and I think you've made that really clear distinction about the group time is about enabling those who are in that group to have an entry point into something that ev- you know into things that the rest of the class are engaging in. So say, for example, you know, if I've not been read to, you know, if I'm in a group where I'm being read to and then I can talk about the same books, you know, that others are talking about, yep. that's, that's, not, that's not taking them out as a group and going, okay, well, you can't do this, so we'll do some kind of intervention here to, yep. know, to get activity. them moving along or some activity. <laughs> yeah, but the, the that's small, not ready. Yes, that the small group work is really the opportunity to just have that small, more focused, more, um, you know, a bit more teacher time um, and a bit more time with each other to be doing what others in the class. So that it's, it's about it being inclusive rather than exclusive. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of research that shows that the kids who need most help, often get to do the least reading. Yes. And that's the very worst thing for them. So, you know, it's all sorts of things like that too. Mm. With, you know, um, I think the last thing you need is a book of activities <laughs> or some sort of program that presumes mm. that all they need is this, but that may not be what the whole group needs. You know, the other thing is, of course, when you work with a group, and depending on what it is in, in reading in particular, you've got more chance of selecting the right sort of text to help them and um, because you know of their specific needs. And it can be a text that will actually help them work at what they need. You know, when, when I think about the range of comprehension strategies uh, and sometimes, you know, a, a, an assessment you were talking about before might just say, oh, well, these kids are weak at comprehension. But what's causing that? Mm. You know, I need to dig deeper and find out which of the strategies are they struggling with that's affecting that. And perhaps it's vocabulary that's mm. affecting that or perhaps it's fluency that's affecting that. And so if I find out more specifically what each student needs, then I can have a, a very a, a better type of group and I can select, you know, the right sort of material to read that will help them. Now, but I want to be careful and say that for, it depends on the strategy as well. For example, I might find there's a group of kids in my class, believe it or not, who don't visualise when they read. Some kids will say, huh, you mean I'm meant to have pictures in my head when I read? <laughs> and so, but they might be all capable of reading different difficulties of text but it's that one strategy that we're going to work on Mm. so it's not like me finding the one text that they're all going to read but rather I'm thinking 
Now, what sort of text would enable lots of kids to visualise? And in fact, I find a lot of poetry um, enables visualising a lot. So I'm looking for something very descriptive. And I might read that aloud to them because some of them might be able to read it independently, but some not. But I'm still wanting them all to think about what they're visualising and we can have a discussion about that and find out that we may not all be picturing exactly the same thing, but there's a reason for what we're visualising and how visualising helps us as readers to understand what we're reading and that then that's something they could try using in whatever they are personally reading. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, I'm starting from the what do they need and then I'm thinking through how do I best do that depending on who the students are. And, you know, whereas, and, you know, they can do things like um, sketch to stretch, which was um, a terrific um, type of thing where each child sketches what they're visualising and then they can discuss in the group or even in pairs and compare and talk about why they were visualising that and learn from each other. So, you know, that's when a type of activity to do would be useful because it fits in with whatever it is the children are trying to get better at yes. rather than just saying, well, here's a good good activity, I'll just get some kids to do this while I'm busy with other kids or something. So um, you can see the difference in what I'm talking about there. Yes, and there's a word that's just jumping into my head here at the moment because um, I've heard a number of teachers talk about this over the last few weeks and that is that um, when we, let's say, so what you're saying, you know, around having purpose for the group work is to really enable transfer into yes. our own so that it isn't just what we did in that group time is isolated to that yep. group time. Exactly. Because this is a number of teachers lately have just said, oh, you know, I'm doing this but I'm not seeing it being transferred into, you know, their own their own um, exactly. their work. So and I'll tell you some of the things that I do to try to prevent that problem. Yes. I always begin with a group telling them why I've pulled them together. Mm. And so I've noticed that, whatever it is, and so I decided we'd come together and work on that together because you all have the same sort of need. And quite often I'll even say, and I've chosen this this text because it will help us work on that. Uh, and for, for example, it was visualising, going back to that, I would even be saying to the kids at the end of the session, let's see if we can find a number of books or poems or whatever in the room and we'll put them into a special box that will be very descriptive and therefore help you to use visualising more. Mm-hmm. And so that for your independent reading, you could choose from that because that's what you want to practice. So I'm, you know, so I'm letting them in on the whole deal, yeah. what, why we're doing it, why I've chosen, and how it, the whole reason is so they could do it independently. And at the end of the session, I'll say, now, how will you be able to use this to help your reading? And we might even specifically look at 
let's say if, if it, they do have their own book boxes, we could look in their book boxes and say, well, you have to make sure you've got something in there to read that will actually help you work at what we're working at. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it can be quite different kinds of things. It might even be some kids are not reading enough nonfiction and we need to, you know, work on that as a group and look at how you read nonfiction and, um, and make sure you've got some nonfiction books to read to practice that. You know, it, it's yeah. a, a million types of things about and look i'm i keep focusing on reading but the same is in writing mm-hmm. you know if i've got a group of kids who are having trouble writing dialogue which is very common then i want to pull them together with some books written by authors who write a lot of dialogue and say let's have a look let's investigate at how those writers do that and why they do it because it helps the reader to know um, this is when someone's speaking, and this is who's speaking. Do they always tell us who it is? And if they don't, how are they able to get away with that? And it's much easier to do that in a small group and then to have them go back to where they're trying to write dialogue and have a go at that in their own writing. But, again, I would say I've noticed you're having trouble with this. Let's investigate it, and then let's see how you go at trying that in your own writing. So there's that follow-through that transfer is going to happen, not just, well, here's a session, I've worked out what to do, but you don't even know why. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, and, and then it's not necessarily going to be suggested that they could do that themselves. And, you know, I find even though you've done this work and you know the reason you've done it is for transfer, but if you don't tell that to some kids, they don't realise that's why you're doing it. so that they can have a go at it themselves. So we've got to be very explicit about those sorts of things, I think. Yes, yes. And that that really um, our small group work has got – it's a micro version or it's a small group version of – a workshop model of a mini lesson yep. with, you know, that we would want them to have some independent practice. We're trying to release, you know, responsibility to them, not just do all the teaching and all the demonstrating, but to have yep. them involved in it as well and yep. then be able to immediately be able to apply that. So what am I, yep. what have I got with my writing, with my reading? Where can I start applying that now? And then as teacher, even in small group, I can already have eyes on them again. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because in that small group, I did leave out one thing. While we're in the group, we're going to have a go at some together. Yes. You know, and then say, now you can try this independently. Mm. Um, And they could even help each other. You know, the kids who are in that group know why they're there. And I I would suggest to them, if you're having trouble, talk with another one of the people in the group and see if you can work it out together or compare what you've done and and see what happens. I do want to say, though, that there are some things where – and we're we're really talking about differentiation here, Mm -hmm. which is so important in effective teaching. There are some things where – I really can, I, I really always should do in small groups. For example, when you're learning handwriting, um, in the foundation in year one, one of the things that I can't, I can't do that with my whole class because there's no way known I can be looking at how 24 kids or whatever are forming their letters. 
So I've got to have a small group with me to observe. You know, I can't tell by looking at their writing afterwards whether they actually mm -hmm. started that letter C in the right place. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the skills we know we want to teach them in handwriting. And so I'm definitely going to break the kids up into smaller groups just because that's the only way I'll be able to see what they're doing. Um, and, you know, there are a few things I think, particularly in those be that beginning year, for example, when we assess kids at the beginning, we're finding out who knows the names of the letters of the alphabet and who doesn't. And if they already do when they come to school, why would you spend time with those kids making them learn something they already know? Yeah. And I don't mean that I would never do some whole class work, you know, where I'm involving names of letters in some way, but I know that I'm going to have to do more work with the kids who don't know that when they start school and I need to pull them together and, you know, have some really focused time on what it is they need to, to build up very quickly. And, and again, that's why the small group might be more effective. I can, you know, I can really punch in with those few kids who need it and, and really, you know, let them know that this is something that's going to help them a lot. Okay. And it's something too that I could perhaps even need to show their parents how they could help with this. Just because you're a parent doesn't mean you know what you're supposed to do with your kids mm -hmm. before they go to school. So, you know, there are some things like that. Even when it comes to um, teaching uh, phonics or working with some kids on phonemic awareness, if I know that they already know something, do I need to spend more time with, with those kids or would I be better off saying these kids need more help with this, let me pull them together to do it? Again, that's what's wrong with programs if the whole class is just working their way through things. And it's sort of like the kids who can do it can do it, and those who can't still can't. Mm. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yes. So it's, they're so frustrating. It's such a waste of money. Mm. So, um, so just talk to us a little bit about, um, well, let's have a conversation about um, – you know, you mentioned earlier about, you know, what are the other children doing while we work with a small group? Yeah, that's, that's very important. Yeah. And that's a very important part of your planning. Mm. And and another reason why you may not be able to start um, small group work at the beginning of the year either because, you know, there's all sorts of things about management and kids learning, you know, what the sort of the rules of the game are, if you like, in, in this particular classroom about what they're supposed to do if they finish their work and all sorts of things like that. And one of the things that I really want to make sure I've got going is independent reading because I know that if I'm working with a group, the very best thing the rest of the class could be doing in reading is more independent reading. Mm. There's never enough time for it anyway, and that would be the most useful thing for them to do. Now, of course, I have to think – no, and I mentioned you've got to get your independent reading going well so that the children uh, at all ages have actually got something in their big, in their book box that they'd be able to go on with or would know easily how to get something else to go on with. Um, so if I can do that, that's, that's really just number one. Yeah. But I, I am aware of children in their first year of school, perhaps even their second year of school, might not be able to go on doing that same task for a long time. So you might have the whole class, you know, independently reading, and then I'm going to pull a group together for something, 
and I might need to change what it is the other kids are doing. But whatever it is, I have to think, is this actually going to help them as a reader? Because if not, it's a waste of their time, and time's precious. So it might even be now read to a partner, and they could read to you. You could swap over because that's different, but it's still reading. Um, It might be... um, Get to get, you know again with with older kids there is more variety as well I think that they can do independently like they might um, have interest groups like book clubs where they like together to get together to talk about their reading and that could be a worthwhile thing to do um, if you've got uh, listing posts or w- that we used to call it when. <laughs> when I started my teaching a long time ago. But now it tends to be perhaps something that's available on an iPad or I think some people use you know, their iPhones with MP players. Yeah. If you've got material that children could listen to mm-hmm. in some way uh, and there are a lot of audio books, that, that could be really beneficial for some kids who've not been used to being read to, it's very beneficial for kids who are working on their fluency to listen to and read along with uh, someone who's a really good reader, such as in audio books. Um, so that's really worthwhile equipment to have. And there's a fabulous range of material to listen to, even on um, something like YouTube, there's so many books that are there that kids could uh, read along with or listen to somebody else reading and watching the text as well. There's a huge number yes. of those. Um, and so all of those things are very readily things to do and that's the thing no matter what we're doing how will it help their reading now look it could also be if kids again earlier kids are at the stage of trying to make a one-to-one match with what you read and the print on the page then I might have sentence strips that they put back together and point as they read, reread them. Um, there might be onset rhyme work that I know they could go on with that would be really helpful for them. Um, but whatever it is, if I think they could do this independently and it would help their reading, um, I do have a whole list of, of those sorts of things. And I know that you always provide lots of great resources for people. We could provide them with some things like what where to go to for um looking or reading along with or what other sorts of activities are worthwhile. Yes. But it's um, the number one thing is it can't just be busy work. It needs Mm. to be something that will actually help their – continue to help their reading improve. Um, And look, uh, some kids might even get together and um, do um, that sort of reading where they're – or joining in with – um, you know, they're not doing a play, but they're just doing the oh, reading like part of it. Theater. Reader's theatre. Yes. Yeah, then a group could be do- doing that. Um, or, you know, the rest of the class could even be in small groups doing that. And there's a lot of reader's theatre scripts online that are free so that you can choose the right ones that the kids could put easily read because that could be different with different groups. So, um, you know, it's just – Keep thinking, will this actually help the kids improve and will they be able to go on with it without me? 
And what will they do when they've finished what they're doing? Do they know what to go on with so that I can stay focused on my small group? Yes, yeah. Would, and I suppose that's the other thing is, you know, how long we would dedicate to a small group time in a day anyway or to that small yeah. group work. Um, that's right. And, again, you know, short and sharp but <clears throat> enough time to really make sure that whatever you were working on, you'll have time to do it. And that might vary depending on what it is and the age group that you're working with. Um, but you know, so there's not necessarily a fixed time. But I think, and again, that depends on how long you know you could leave the rest of your class to be working independently too. So you've got to think those things through. But, you know, in general, and, and I find things like I can't do a proper guided reading session in less than a quarter of an hour. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, so, uh, you know, you've got to allow time for that. But I do want to say one thing. It doesn't all have to happen in one session. And I think there's too much. Because I worked with you today, then I can't work with you tomorrow. I've got Mm -hmm. to go on to someone else. But wouldn't it make sense that if we're working on some sort of strategy to improve in your reading or writing, that if you haven't got it today – it would be more beneficial for us to go on with that tomorrow. So instead of me having another group, I'm probably better off to go on with the same group and then I might feel like, well, now they've got it and I don't need to work with them again. Yes, yes. that's, That's the important thing to know too. When is this group disbanded? Yes. I don't need to keep working with this group. If I do, I don't think I'm choosing the right things to help them. You know, that if I think, golly, you know, we've been working together for seven weeks as a group, uh, one day a week, but they still haven't got it, uh, what am I doing wrong? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> because the, the whole idea of the group work is to make them independent of me and therefore they shouldn't need me if – I've chosen the right text, the right group, and we're doing the right sort of work yes. to yeah. help them be independent. Yeah, and it gets back we to just, that chance. That's where, to... Yeah, it, it is. And also not planning so that, you know, I've got this fixed thing for the term or the year. If you're really being effective, it's pretty rare that that's going to be fixed for a long period of time. Mm. So um, we we just need to remain. It's us that need to remain flexible. Yes. Um, we often talk about flexible groups, but yeah. it's the teacher who needs to be flexible about who she's going or he is going to work with. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Yes, it absolutely does. And I think we know when we, you know, when we are noticing our students. So not only are we noticing about what we want to do for, you know, who might need um, the small group work, but also noticing, all right, I've got quite a few that I'm thinking need some small group work. Yeah, what does course. that mean for my what does that mean for my teaching then too? What is it that, you know, I need to do some more demonstration of, or what do I need to go deeper, or what do I need to help them with transfer of, you know, it's yep. it's not always just um, thinking, oh, okay, who do I need to put in small groups now, but also that idea of what does, every, you know, what do many in the class need that I might not yet have brought to them. So yep. getting that balance is um, 
you know, is an important part of keeping um, keeping that transfer. I suppose is the big That's word right. here all the time it is. is transferring yeah. it into. Um, and look, there's a lot of things that that just what you were just saying brings up issues like um, how many groups a day can I work with? Yeah. You know, and you've got to be realistic about that because what will the other children be doing? Mm. But can some of that group work be done without me? Yes. Uh, and if I've, for example, um, if we're working on um, a group of children who need help with using multiple comprehension strategies, then you might decide that reciprocal teaching would be very good for that group of kids. And remember, it's called reciprocal teaching, everyone, not reciprocal reading. It was it was a routine developed uh, in the 1980s by Palinsker and Brown, yep. and they worked with the most struggling readers and found if they had this routine with them, predicting, questioning, clarifying, and summarising with a text that the kids could read by themselves – then they and have this discussion where they're all doing all of those strategies, but then having discussion and sharing their information about each of them. Uh, then that once you have taught a group of kids how to use that routine, you could be leaving them to do it by themselves. And in fact, you're not supposed to be involved once you've got good reciprocal teaching working. And so that would be worthwhile. But that you have to be careful. I've seen some classrooms where every day they'll have groups of kids and they rotate this again, um, going through the routine of reciprocal teaching. And yet perhaps some of those children do not need that because they're already very good at using those mm. comprehension strategies in an interrelated way. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing to do, but there might be something that's better. Yes. for those kids to keep them moving along. And it of comes course, back to the, the noticing. <laughs> noticing, it does. doesn't it? Yeah, you know, it does. How... Yeah. And, of course, perhaps if you're choosing more and more complex texts uh, for those kids to be applying those strategies, then that could be effective. Mm. But, you know, it's the choice of the text that can often make a big difference to whether you're really – the kids are just coasting or you're actually pushing them to do something better. Yes. Um, so – Common sense, yes. You know, yeah. will will this actually be helping them in any way? Yeah. And um, rather than me just saying, "Well, this look," I have to say, Sharon, there are times in our teaching where we just have to have some kids doing some things that we know may not always be the most wonderful thing for them to do, but I have to survive the day. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I am realistic. Yeah. yeah. So, but if you're aware of that, <laughs> why you're doing it. Uh, that's not quite as bad. And um, and look, especially when you're, you know, early days as a teacher and you're still learning so much, um, you know, don't wet, have burnout because you're trying to do something that's too much for you personally at that time. If it's not something bad um, or a waste of time, like I can remember when I was a prep teacher when I first began prep teaching, to help children learn 
uh, letter names, we would give them this big piece of paper with, I don't know, the word cat written on it, mm. and they had to tear up little bits of paper and stick them all over the letters. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness, what a waste of half an hour. <laughs> yeah. But golly, and on and a half an hour to clean up the room. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So... I do remember what were the useless things to do from my early teaching. And uh, yeah. uh, so I know we, we go through those stages of development as a teacher as well, but uh, we try not to. Uh, you know, we, I'm not going to go on doing that 30 years later. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Now, one other thing that I think that um, teachers are often wondering about too is – if I've got a, you know, if I know that I've got a small group that you know really needs some more help, one way of managing that is sometimes um, teachers will decide, oh, I'll, I'll, you know, the support teacher in the room, I'll get the support teacher to work with that group. Yes. Sometimes it's a good idea to flip that, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is definitely. It depends on the knowledge of the support teacher. And if they're not trained as thoroughly as you are um, in that particular aspect, then no, they would be better off doing something with the rest of the class um, and you working with the group. If you're the the knowledge one, you're you're knowledgeable, you're the trained, definitely flip it. The other thing is, though, that I also do look for, like, for example, that – that person might be really fantastic at reading aloud to a group of kids or doing a small group shared. Well, see, a small group shared reading requires a lot more knowledge too. And and it's often the time when you're observing a lot about individual children. But so if, if I think that it's, it would just be ideal for that person. Of course, that's great to have that other pair of hands. Um, but you're right. It, you might be the one who needs to work with the small group. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. and then it leads, of course, to that noticing again. Yeah. Know, whilst exactly. we're working with that group, like how long do we keep this group together? Yeah. <laughs> because like, of what do we I'm... need to go on anymore? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's harder if I've, um, if someone else is working with that group, exactly. and I don't yeah. get to know, and you know how long, or I'm not getting to see, um, it in transfer because I'm not the one. You know, doing some, you know, seeing them as they're working with that independently. So, yep. yeah. So it is. It's so much common sense. Yeah. Um, and you know, we we mustn't also forget that individual work c- can be more important than putting the kid, all the kids into a group too. And um, you know, one of the things that I have found to be very effective is to find. You know, perhaps they might be parents or just like I know we've got a group of terrific men coming into one of the schools where I work that are from the local men's shed Mm. and we team them up, in particular a man with a boy, um, uh, to uh, come in and read to those children Mm. uh, uh, if they can do it more than one day a week uh, and then – that is just so good in so many ways. But what I do make sure of is that that outsider coming in um, will be a good match personally. And also what I do is I actually give them a bag or a box 
that are this child's favourites, like at home they always want their favourites read over and over again. So instead of choosing something different each time they come in, they actually reread the mm. children's favourites. Of course, if it's an older child, they might be continuing on with the reading of a novel. Yeah. Um, but whatever it is that's really going to be effective for the child in their stage of development as readers. Mm. And uh, it's it's just fantastic to have that continuing relationship with someone who cares about you. And that's where I could really make use of someone from outside. Whereas I've seen people come in as parents perhaps helping the teacher to help the children choose the book they're going to take home to read at the end of the day. But that parent doesn't know enough about how to choose the right book for each child because that requires a lot of knowledge of the child. And so um, that's not something that I would have someone come in and help do. But Choosing the right text to be reading independently is a very important thing. So I might make that a small group work that a group of kids are not choosing the right one. You know, some older kids never finish a book Mm, mm. and their goal is to choose a book that they will finish. Mm. So how do I help them find that? And that might be a few kids, even if it's two or three, that I might pull together as a group and work on uh, how do you find something that you really want to finish and make that your goal. So there's a lot of things um, that are very much part of reading, what makes reading successful, that we can, you know, pull kids together for individually or in small groups. Yeah. And that individual part I think is, um, you know, is another strategy that we can feel pretty confident in doing as teachers as well, that once – let's say our students are into their independent reading or writing, that when we rove the room and are noticing, there's still opportunities for that on-the-spot teaching and that... Oh, absolutely. You know, that there is so much power in just those few seconds that we might spend with a child or that couple of minutes um, and that I don't even need to orchestrate a... No. Well, when am I going to plan for a group? What if I did something with that child right now that exactly. got them moving on yep. in their independent work right there and then exactly. uh, gets them over that little hump? And so if we, if we really acknowledge that idea that, yes, we can draw groups, but also our on-the-spot, just really the teaching – continues way past the mini lesson when people think the mini lesson is done you know and it's only short yep that time after that is you know it's just a wealth of time whilst they're working independently too yep the first thing i would do at the start of reading or writing time would be to do that roving type Mm. um of conference if you like because i'm just going around and i know what the kids are all working at so Mm. I can say, so how's it going? Have you, have you chosen a non-fiction book to read today? Or, you know, mm. have, have you chosen something that will help you do blah, blah? Or, you know, um, if you're trying to make sure that children are using particular strategies to work out an unknown word, how's that going? Show me where you're doing that. And, you know, it can just be so quick to check in or to notice something and do an on-the-spot teaching, just like during a conference. Why stay, well, I'm better form a group 
um, with that child. Mm. Um, no, you might be able to teach them something on the spot. Yes. So never miss an opportunity like that mm. for sure. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, Sharon, one of the other things that I was thinking about that helps teachers to do this sort of perhaps um, collecting the data, as you were saying before, that's yes. not some sort of formal assessment, mm. is I think it's really helpful to have a list of the sorts of things you might be watching out for in reading or writing. Yes. So, And then the children's names across the top. So that, or, you know, the other way around, the children's names down the side and, and these things across the top. Mm. And if I had that chart with me during mm. um, any time that I could be observing, if I sort of think, oh, I don't think that child's um, able to cope with that, I can just put a little mark on that chart, mm. you know, that's going to indicate to me so that I can look at that as a big picture and say, oh, I've got a mark with this child, this child, and this child not doing very well with that. So that means I'd, it would be really good if I pulled them together to work on something. Um, so I think anything you can come up with like that as, as a teacher, and if you're not sure about, you know, what this list should be, um, and it, it might just be broad, like vocabulary, comprehension, reading process, uh, ways to approach um, saying an unknown word, um, phonemic awareness, response to reading, um, the habits and attitudes, fluency, or you might actually be wanting to get down to quite specifics and say in comprehension I'm watching out for um, predicting, visualising, questioning, summarising, monitoring and fixing up um, what else is it? What have I not left? Um, what have I left out? Um, oh. Using text structure, yes. um, thinking aloud. So you know, I, I'm sort of. It reminds me of what I'm watching out for. So that it depends on what my focus is at the time. Whether I'm, you know, looking out for those general aspects. And the same with writing. Mm. You know, and I would group that according to, you know, perhaps content, punctuation, spelling, and then I might have more detail about that depending on the age group. So it's very helpful for me. Even if you develop your um, the sort of conference notes that you and the children, your, your record of your conference perhaps might have some of these major headings in it so that during the conference, if you notice something, you would be able to at least put that into the, the child's detail. But then you've got to have some other way of looking at the picture of the class unless you yes. then say, okay, well, I've noticed that, so I'm going to put that into next year, next week's planning that, you know, these children need help with, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've got to have some way of being able to record it, unless you're just brilliant at keeping it all in your head, which is, it's not for me. No, well, but, I think teachers, yeah, they're, it's amazing what is in a teacher's head around that. But I think yeah. you're absolutely right about having, for want of a better word, you know, a checklist of some um, sort here. And one of the one of the places that I often direct people to for creating something like that is their, um, the year level of the Australian curriculum for English. Okay, right, yep, yep, because yep sure. Because there's really, um, you know, across that we've got all of those elements 
around comprehension and fluency and their uh, phonics and word recognition. Um, and I'm just speaking, you know, reading here at the moment, their preferences, yep. opinions. Um, and, and so I think that's a good place for people to even just be thinking about, okay, what on the curriculum yep. am I needing to look for at year level? Yep. Um, so, but there are, what other resources would we point people in the direction of? Your article on um, the reading curriculum yes, has a great yep. list of yep. things that we um, Yeah, I was thinking that too. Yes. And that's why, why I wrote it, so that we could all be thinking about what, and specifically the details, you know, it concerns me in some of the areas of reading that, um, you know, people are just being tuned in to one aspect. Yes. For example, you know, um, using uh, phonetic strategy is not the only way to work mm. out how to say a word. You mm -hmm. know, perhaps onset rhyme might be much more useful for a word yes. like lay. Um, or perhaps it's a, a high-frequency word that you automatically recognise and mm. you want to make sure that children do click learn a number of those words as readers and writers. So, you know, if you just have a very picture um, list, then I think you also need to get down to some details at times, otherwise you won't notice the things that are really making a difference. Yeah. So, you know, for example, I know a, a secondary teacher group of secondary teachers told one of my friends that her daughter in year seven, they all said she was having trouble with comprehension. Mm. Yeah. So what? Now, which mm. aspect of comprehension? Mm. And I actually discovered that vocabulary was her major problem. Mm. So also world knowledge. She was reading a book about Vikings and didn't know anything about Vikings. Yeah. So, yeah, we've got to, got to dig deeper and say what, well, actually, what specifically is causing the problem that I need to do some work on and what will be the best way to do that? So, um, you know, start off with some generals but then get down to some specifics. Yeah. And that article you talked about does both of those. So yes. it would be helpful. Yeah. And you're right. And the only thing I find with the Australian curriculum, sometimes you've got to add things that aren't there. Um, but yeah. it's certainly yes. a very good base. Yes. And it's what you're supposed to be looking at. Yes, yeah. Um, and when we do look across the achievement standards and the content descriptions, like we are seeing a big, a bigger picture there that um, – and I think that's what is a good reminder for us all is about the bigger picture, not just, the, you know, just um, that we might be focusing heavily, as you say, you know, on one particular aspect or – you know, yeah. that, that we want to be drawing in. There is a richness to the curriculum that I think we that can be overlooked sometimes. But yeah, I think definitely. it's but I think it is in um you know, we do need we need to read a bit more broadly than just the yep. curriculum as well to get a better understanding. I mean that's really still yep. overview. Um, yep. but for us to get a really good understanding of reading processes and yes. um, comprehension strategies, you know, we we need we need as teacher to be sure of what it is we are looking at 
to get the big picture of reading, not just definitely, the, not just the. You know, bits. there's a, there's so much um, talk. I don't know if it's the same over there in South Australia, but I know in, in Victoria a lot of principals have been asking me. Well, I keep hearing about the science of reading. You know, so. Mm. What, what is that? Um, and, you know, so much emphasis coming through about the teaching of phonics that some kids are doing so much time from from phonics programs, they don't get time to read. Yes. And, you know, so... Um, no transfer. Very important. No, tra- <laughs> no exactly. <laughs> transfer to reading and writing, writing when it comes to that. Yes. And, you know, so um, I suggested the principals really read about what the science of reading is and there are even articles now that if you're not doing all aspects of the science of reading you're focusing on too much on one of them then you're not actually using the science of reading Mm. you know so and and of course then that was developed when the reading panel um came out with the you know the big five or whatever you want to call them in 19 uh, in 2000 and yeah so Mm. it's a long time ago so now there are many articles about what that's now considered the simple view of reading. Mm-hmm. And that there are other aspects like mo- the importance of motivation. Yes. Well, we've known for a long time that children who are motivated to read, and that's affected dramatically by having easy access to books they want to and can read, yes. um, will dramatically affect children's reading development. Mm. And also self-monitoring which is a major comprehension strategy, self-monitoring and fixing up is now, you know, well, we've known that for a long time too, but um, it's now considered a very important part of the science of reading. And metacognition, children being able to describe what it is they're doing as readers and how they're doing it. Well, goodness me, we've known about that for a long time too, but it's now actually considered a very important part of the science of reading. So you've got to keep reading and keep yourselves up to date Mm. and read more than what just one person is telling you. You know, I don't want people to just believe what I say, but read broadly. And, you know, if you feel like I don't know enough about this particular aspect as a teacher, I don't know how to teach vocabulary very well. Well, there's a lot that you can find out even online about how to do that well. So keep building our own professional knowledge so that this group work is as effective as it can possibly be mm. um, is is very important for us all. And I know, look, you're doing such a wonderful job with all of these podcasts and the resources you provide that that's making it much easier for teachers too, Sharon, and you should be very proud of that. Oh, I'm serious. Yeah, and a lot of teachers tell me um, how useful it is. And, you know, they can tune into a podcast while they're driving to and from work in the car, you yes, know. Yes, so it's, it's making it easier to do. Yes, and then yeah. they can think of the transfer to their teaching. Yes. It's a two-way process, isn't it? Absolutely that. And that's what we really value, you know, being in conversation with you, Di. You know, we you read widely. You know, it's, you know, you're bringing information from, you know, you're never stuck on one resource, you know, of one, you know, no, you things. Be. It's, you know, and, and I think the other value here that we really want to um, acknowledge is that 
all of this is about, you know, these conversations are always about lived experience with this. We're not saying to teachers, oh, you know, this or that because we read it somewhere, but because this is actually what we've done in classrooms. Exactly. Oh, look, if I read about something, then I think, oh, I must have a go at that Mm. and I'll try it out. Um, And, you know, it's interesting sometimes too how a lot of things happened in the past that we've forgotten about. Like I don't think there's nearly enough language experience work occurring Mm. uh, as much as it used to be in the past. And that's another very good small group type experience to work with a group of children, Um, particularly if they're struggling with reading at any age. You know, to take them as a group and have a discussion about something, what you say can be written down and what's written down can be read. You know, it's their experience, it's their language. Yes. Um, you know, yeah. so syntax and semantics and even the vocabulary being used are all part of that. So it becomes material that's much more um, uh, something that they can read independently while they're learning a lot about words and language and so forth so um you know know, we've just got ourselves another podcast well (laughs) i yeah i agree yeah i agree it would be fantastic podcast yes and these days it's made so much easier with ipads being Mm. able to take the photos and do the print etc so yeah really worthwhile yes let's do that because Um, and by the way i thought about the comprehension strategy that we left out it's the most important inferring inferring yeah Yeah. and you know i was showing a group of teachers the other day about the importance of learning about inferring from the time children start to read Mm -hmm. and if i'm sure rosie's walk is a book that's known by most people if you do not look at the pictures and not just Mm -hmm. the words Mm -hmm. then you cannot read that book Mm -hmm. because it's what's happening in the pictures that is the other part of the story following the fox and all of the things in that book that you infer that the author didn't actually tell you because of what's in the pictures Mm. And and I would call it inferring. I'd say to the kids, when you yeah. see those little lines there that show that the rake is coming up and hitting the fox in the face, you're inferring that. The mm. author didn't actually say those words that the fox did that, but you've worked out from the picture about that. And, you know, often you don't know who's speaking yeah. Um, yeah. unless you look at the pictures. And then you can infer, oh, it must be this boy who's saying that and it must be his mother who's saying that mm-hmm. because they're not actually saying in the text, said the boy, said the mother. So, um, you know, it, it's very dangerous to say things like don't use picture clues because mm. you may not be doing the most important aspect of reading, inferring to yes. make sense. Yes. Oh, and, that's... you know, you can't wait till, you know, year three, now I'm going to start teaching inferring, especially in nonfiction. Mm. You know, there is so much to infer by the connections between what's in the artwork and what's in the text. Um, you know, a rabbit eat lots, eats lots of vegetables and so then they have a diagram of carrots and lettuce and celery. So you have to infer that the rabbit eats those vegetables. Um, how would you do that if you weren't actually looking at the pictures and the labels as well as the main text? So, again, we've inferred that because why else would they put those uh, pictures into the text? 
Now, I'm talking about something very different from shared re- uh, reading here, Sharon, but um, oh, it, I just can't help do, myself. I was just going to say, don't, don't hold back, Di. small group work. That might yes. be small group work that yes. you need to do, yeah. uh, having that discussion about what inferring yeah. is and really getting that little group of kids talking about what they've inferred and how they've inferred it might be much more helpful for you to notice who's picking that up than yeah. with it's with a whole class. Yes, and it was the very thing I was going to draw us back to is this this really knowing what it is, the richness and the wonder of reading oh. and writing that we really want to bring to our students both in our whole class teaching but in that small group that opportunity to get those children into small groups to explore something further not just because they're having trouble with it but because they can grow further in it exactly yeah and the more that they're able to do the more they enjoy the reading if you're struggling then it's not enjoyable so our overall goal is to make it enjoyable for every child in the class at any age group because if we can make it something they want to do um, then it makes a big difference yes i mean it's interesting at the moment there's a lot in the news about the NAPLAN results for Year 9 boys. Mm-hmm. I began teaching 55 years ago as a secondary teacher yeah. and everybody talked even then about Year 9 students might as well not be at school. <laughs> <laughs> it's not an age group where they're interested <laughs> in school but they're interested in so many other things taking over. Yeah. And and I was thinking, yeah, you know, my husband and I were talking about it last night. No wonder those Year 9 boys are struggling in reading and writing. But how do we – how do we get them engaged. turned on? How yes. do we get them engaged? Yeah. What would we do? And, and it might be small groups trying to find, mm-hmm. you know, the stuff that they would love yeah. to read. Yeah. And it may not be the class novel at mm. all. Mm. Uh, so how do we get them engaged yes. in, in reading and writing, writing about things that matter to them? Yes. Um, then we might see a big turnaround. Mm-hmm. It certainly won't be more comprehension exercises or whatever. No, or, so or, got to get um, them motivated first. Yes, or intervention. Oh, you goodness know. me. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and mm. pulling them out from the other kids yes. so that they lose their self-esteem. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it just gives me the horrors. Mm. I can't sleep at night thinking mm. about those boys' lives, you know. Yeah, yeah. And not always boys, but, no. you know. Keeping it enjoyable and yes. something they want to do, yes. so that you know it's not a pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we haven't quite got it right, have we, for them? You know, <laughs> no. So no, we, yeah, there's and, work, uh, you know, work to be done. Someone will come along and say, to... "Oh, those boys must need more phonics." Yeah. No, I no, know. I'm I think that's... sorry. It's very, yeah. very important, but it is not the only answer. No, no. And look, it might well be. Uh, the answer, but let's find out specifically and then do it in a way that they will enjoy it and see the relevance to what they want to do. Yeah. That's the important part. And and I think we really need to, we need to honour 
students by finding out what it is without jumping to conclusions about oh, if having problems with this. Like, why is that? What if it is all exactly. about motivation? Yeah. Because a number of times, you know, teachers have said, oh, you know, that they're not performing well on assessments or whatever, and we find out they're actually not poor readers. No. We just have little motivation to be reading. So what if we come from that angle? What if we – but it is about honouring. You're right, it might be a a challenge that they're having with phonics, but let's honour the big picture of that Let's and let's notice, let's take time with them rather than looking for blanket solutions to those things. Yes, for sure, definitely. Right, Di, we're going to – well, let's have a good night's sleep tonight, knowing that you know, <laughs> that we're not going to um, solve all of those things for, you know, we care so much about, you know, students and their success. We um, do. And, um, and it's always wonderful to have you, you know, with your energy and insights and passion um, for for all children and their learning, bringing that to us. Always love chatting with you, Di. So grateful for all that you bring and offer to all My of us pleasure. here. I really think you're doing some of the best work in the world at the oh. moment. And I'm not I'm not just saying that. It's so um, doable to, to hone in on, on what you're providing. It's really fabulous. Yeah. And, and, and I really know of nobody else who's doing the work like you are absolutely every way. So uh-huh. good on you. <laughs> thank you, and, you. You and Phil are fabulous. Oh, thank you so thank much, you. Di. And thank you okay. for being part of, um, making you know this bringing things that are doable because that is what it's all about is yeah yeah so thank you to everyone for joining us today we've loved to see that so many of you have subscribed to our episodes from all corners of the world the teacher's toolkit podcast is all about giving you an insider's guide to top teaching ideas tools techniques in literacy teaching and learning please subscribe to our weekly newsletter via the website You'll receive advance notice on blogs, podcasts, events and ways to contact us. Thank you, Di. Always wonderful. All the best to you and Phil. Thank you and all the best to our listeners as well and to you, Di. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast. To make sure you don't miss any literacy learning tips and insights, please subscribe to our show on your favourite podcast player. At Q Learning, our literacy specialists draw on over 30 years of teaching and international consulting experience to deliver world-class learning solutions. We equip, empower and support teachers to become their authentic selves. To find out about upcoming webinars and about how Q can help you and your school, visit qlearning.com.au. And you can get even more amazing teaching resources right now at teachific.com.au. Stay tuned.